It's fantastic to be here. I was realizing I've been coming here uh, about six years. My first time was September 2013. You guys were meeting in a different place, actually, in a, in a theater at that point. But it's so good to be with you. Always love traveling to Chicago. Um, my wife, Tracy, couldn't be with me this time, but um, obviously sends her greeting as well. So uh, we just we love you guys. We pray for you. You're on our hearts. Rollin and B and their family are, are truly some of our best friends and fellow ministers in the entire world. So thank you for the gift of being here, the privilege. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into John chapter 15. It's, uh, it's funny. We, we, we live so much of our lives inside, and uh, when Jesus was saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he was probably outside talking to people. So thankfully... <laughs> Uh, this message about the branches and how they can be healthy is going to be brought all the more real to you by these beautiful trees we have all around us. So I think that's a, that's a blessing we have. So anyway, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that it refines us, it encourages us, it purifies us, and it trains us for godliness. And Lord, as we read your word and as we study it and as we understand it, I pray that you would allow it to be the words that transform us, that we might be fruitful branches connected to you, the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in John 15. Uh, feel free to look, al look along um, with it here. And, and just by way of intro, Jesus has been um, talking his disciples through a series of of statements about himself. He's told them, um, I'm the Messiah, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and I'm the resurrection and the life. These are all things that John has been using to articulate uh, uh, what Jesus said about himself, who he was, and how he came to be here and his purpose here. But this is the last one, the last I am statement in the Gospel of John. And in this, it's very interesting because Jesus immediately goes from I am to you are. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he articulates for them very clearly how they respond to uh, who he is, his purpose, his character, by the way that they're supposed to be. And we, his disciples today, by the way we're supposed to be. So let's read John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and you, they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you ask what you will desire, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from the Father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. I am the true vine. You know, Jesus is... John 13 through 17 is, is Jesus' last discourse with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And a lot of people believe that as Jesus was teaching this, he was doing one of two things. John 14 ends with Jesus saying, arise, let's go from here. And then John 15 begins with Jesus saying, I'm the true vine and my father's a vine dresser. And a lot of people believe that if, if you look at kind of the geography of Jerusalem, he was traveling from the west where he had met with his disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. And he was traveling kind of to the east where the Garden of Gethsemane was, where he would pray before his sacrifice. And so as Jesus was passing through, um, they believe either he was passing through a vineyard and maybe they were grabbing some of the first fruits of the grapes or they were passing by the temple and the temple of this time had very ornate decor around the outside and one of the things that it had was these golden grape clusters and so it's potentially the case that either the disciples were they were picking the first fruits of these grapefruits as they passed along um, kind of traveling from the west of Jerusalem to the east or they were looking up at the temple you know maybe even as the disciples had done in a previous um, moment said wow look how beautiful this is look at these beautiful golden grapes and potentially then Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And so as they were passing from southwest Jerusalem to east Jerusalem, um, they, they would have passed potentially right by the temple. And Jesus says here, I am the true, true vine, the, the alathinos, the, the true vine. It's the same word um, that's used by John in John chapter 6, the way Jesus said, I am the true bread which came down from heaven. You see the disciples, and so often we, we have the tendency to look at what our eyes can see, right? So they were thinking about in John chapter 6, there was bread that literally fell from heaven. And Jesus is saying, that's true. Under Moses, you were fed that way, but I'm the true bread. The true bread, I give you spiritual sustenance. I give you life that you've never experienced before. In the same way, uh, whether they were looking at grapes in real life or looking at these golden clusters on the temple, Jesus was saying, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that actually gives you spiritual sustenance, spiritual life, spiritual nourishment that you can partake of. And, and so um, this new life that comes from being born again is the life where we receive everything we need. You know, when John Wesley the great Methodist minister, he got born again reading the beginning of Peter's second letter where Peter said his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great and precious promises so that by them we may become participants in the divine nature. It wasn't just about seeing Jesus as an example to be emulated, though he is an example to be emulated, it was about having God's divine power enable us actually to become partakers, to become participants 
in the divine nature through the work of Jesus Christ. I want to read a quote by Tim Keller that articulates what it means to grow through Jesus, the true vine. The nature of Christian growth is organic. It's not mechanical. It's not moralistic. It's not magical. It's not mechanical, meaning you follow these 10 steps and you'll grow in your faith. It's not moralistic. Namely, I just try to keep the rules better than most everyone around me. And it's not magical. You don't utter an incantation or speak a spell. But Christian growth is organic. It's a change not by mechanical compliance to rules, not moralistic justification, not magical tapping into a cosmic force. It is the very life of God growing up within us and nourishing us and making us more like him. In verse 2 here, it says, My father's the true vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he cuts off. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. This is the part where you, you could wish, wow, it wouldn't have been great if Jesus had said, the branches that don't bear fruit get cut off. The branches that are fruitful, they get to get comfortable and just rest, and everything's going to be fine. But Jesus said, actually, the pruning knife, it comes to every branch. The only question is, will you be cut back so that you can grow and be more fruitful, or will you be cut off if you're unfruitful? That's what Jesus said. What's the job of the vine dresser? The job of the vine dresser is to bring out the best in every plant. If you go to a garden, if you, if you go to a vineyard or just any garden where you have flowering plants and you get there right after they've been pruned, it looks like a massacre. It really looks like a bloodbath has occurred because you see so many branches that looked good lying on the ground they've been cut off and why have they been cut off because the vine dresser in his wisdom knows this thing can bear even more fruit the way a grape plant works is the um, grapes that are going to come from a vine they're going to come from branches that have only been there in the last 12 to 24 months anything older than that will just create wood growth but will bear no fruit and it will cut off the plant from getting the air supply it needs. And so in the case of grapes, a skilled vine dresser is gonna come in and is gonna cut off that old growth so that the remaining branches can get more air supply and more flow and become more fruitful. I can't show you a slide of this, but if, if grape vines aren't pruned, the cutoff of air supply eventually leads to a, a creeping fungus which takes over the plant and eventually stifles it makes it diseased and blighted. And so as painful as it is for the plant, when the vine dresser comes in and does that, it's so the plant can bear more fruit. And so this is, if, if you look at the Christian experience as one where God primarily cares for my comfort and he's primarily concerned with making sure that things temporarily go well for me, you will eventually be sorely disappointed because God is far less concerned with our comfort than he is with our cultivation that we might bear more fruit. And so sometimes even if you say, this job was going so well, why did it get cut off? Or this relationship seemed like it was going so well, why did it get cut off? 
The answer is a loving vine dresser has looked at you, he's looked at me and said, wow, that person's bearing fruit and I want him or her to bear more fruit. And the path to that is not getting comfortable, it's not getting complacent. What's gonna happen to a plant when a lot of those branches get cut off? It's gonna double down on seeking to draw virtue out of the vine, out of the vine itself. And that's what happens to you and me. When we are pruned, when we are cut back, that's when we say, wow, I really need to seek God. I really need to press into God. And that's how greater growth will come. That's how greater um, fruitfulness will come as a result. So that's kind of the, uh, the first deception that you might hear associated with this. God's the vine, uh, Jesus is the vine, God's the vine, God the Father's the vine dresser, and he comes to us and he says, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you with a mediocre harvest. I love you so much that I'm going to come and I'm going to cut away those things that are preventing you from being more and more fruitful. Because he loves us, he comes with pruning shears to cut away those relationships those maybe jobs, those situations um, that seemed good, but God wants us to grow into more and more and more fruitfulness. Think about it, every time you read this passage, it, it's a good thing just to circle how many times the word fruit is used. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. Lasting fruit, you see, God's not really concerned with something that's like a flash in the pan. Um, if you garden, you know that weeds grow up quickly. You know that the plants that you want to cultivate, they take a long time. They take a lot of patience. But God is looking for fruit that will last in our relationships. He's not saying, how can I make something grow as quickly as possible as much as he is? How can I make something grow as sustainably and healthy as possible? And many, many times that will mean. And so if you look at the painful things in your life and a lot of times you say, wow, that looked like it was promising and it got cut off. Could it be that your loving father is saying, I'm cutting that off because what you don't see but what I do see is more fruit than you could possibly imagine. But you're not going to get there unless you get this cut off. I live near Philadelphia and I'm, I'm the friend of someone who is a sportscaster um, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, kind of, a, it's a great opportunity. He's there, he's very prominent. He's serving God in a great way. And he told me that years ago, um, his mother passed away when he was in high school. It was obviously devastating. It was a crushing thing for him. Um, it was so painful for him that he left his small town where he was and, and moved to a different place. Um, this opened the door for him to grow his career and reach a place of prominence where literally hundreds of thousands of people know him and they can see his example for Christ. And he said to me, I never would have left that small town. I never would have grown into this opportunity had this tragedy not struck when I was in high school. Do I miss my mother? Absolutely. Do I wish she were here with me? Yes. But I see how the hand of God over decades said, this is something I'm going to allow to happen so that you can be as fruitful as possible. And so now from the, with the benefit of hindsight, and the benefit of hindsight is the only way sometimes. 
one of my favorite. Um, hopefully this verse comforts you as much as it'll comfort me. But when Jesus, a few chapters earlier, he says to his disciples, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but later you will understand. And so often when you feel the pain of the pruning, you have no idea why it's happening. And you have to trust. You don't understand what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. Later you'll see that I'm at work in your life. Trust the Father. Trust the Father that what he's doing is allowing supernatural change that is invisible, but is at work for your good. So we've talked about fruit a lot. Fruit is something that when it, when it happens and you can see, wow, there's an unmistakable difference between the life I saw and the life that I'm seeing now, and there's no other way to explain it except for the hand of God. A few weeks ago, um, I, I saw, and I'm sure many of us saw, um, there was a, a, a young man whose brother had been killed um, and uh, murdered um, by his downstairs neighbor, and they were at the sentencing. And, and this young man, his name is Brant Jean, his brother, both of them had been murdered. And he took the stand to say to the person who had murdered his brother, I forgive you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. He went and he actually gave her a hug after that moment. And it was shared by and seen by millions of people because there was this horrifying thing. He would have been justified and everyone would have understood if he had said, I hope you're in prison for the rest of your life. But the act of pure forgiveness, it was a moment where you could see the life, the virtue, the fruitfulness of Jesus literally flowing out of him. And everyone could see it and everyone could be touched by it. We've talked about fruitfulness. I also want to talk about faith. If we're abiding in him, we're going to have the faith to ask with extraordinary boldness, like we've never asked before. Verse 7 of this passage it reminds me of Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name. O Lord God of hosts. You know, a lot of people have misunderstood this verse. They haven't read it in the, the, the immediate context and they've just said, wow, so Jesus is saying I can just ask for whatever I want in his name and it'll be given to me like a spell. Right? Like I can cast the spell, I can say the magic words, and whatever I ask for is going to happen. Ignoring completely the context. The context is this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If we are attached to the vine and if Jesus is flowing through us, if his virtue and wisdom is flowing through us, if we're abiding in him and his words are abiding in us, then the requests that flow out of us will be faith-filled requests based on our knowledge of who he is because his virtue and his life will be flowing through us. And even as there's a mistake made with respect to the fruitfulness, that mistake is if God loves me, he's just going to he's going to shield me from anything inconvenient, anything difficult. Um, no, the truth is God allows us to be pruned so that we can become more fruitful. There's also a mistake when it comes to the faith of this passage. That is the thought of, well, it says right here, I can ask for whatever I want and it's going to happen. Mercifully, thankfully, that's not how life is born out. If I got everything I asked for when I was a 21-year-old, 
Um, it would be bad. In fact, Hollywood's made some movies about this where people just get everything they ask for. Um, God knows what we need. He knows in his wisdom, and he is able to say, you can have faith when you pray, when your faith is based on abiding in me and my words abiding in you. When we abide in him, what happens? Our minds are washed. They're washed by the, the renewing, by the transforming power of his word. And so what we pray and what we speak by faith flows directly out of that wisdom. Let me give you an example. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when I come to God and I pray that I would, I would display more patience towards my children, I have 100% faith that he will answer that prayer because I know it is 100% sure according to his will. And so I can pray with the faith and confidence that he will answer that. Now when you pray for patience, the way that gets answered may not be to your liking. Very often it means you will be sent people who will try your patience. But that is the work of God to refine and to transform and to make us more like him. If my words abide in you, he also says, if, if, if you remain in me and my love remains in you. This is a revelation that when you get it, it'll, it has the power to change everything about you. You literally cannot be loved by the Father more than you are at this moment, more than you are right now. That revelation is so important. You're treasured and loved without increase, without de decrease. His love for you and me is perfect, and it never changes. And that, too, will bring faith. It'll bring confidence. That knowledge will shatter insecurity. My Heavenly Father loves me. He delights in me. He delights in you. And He has great desire for you. The only confidence that we can have the true confidence John said in his epistle is is this we have this perfect love that casts out fear right if you if you fear you haven't been made perfect in love John said but we can have confidence in approaching him and asking according to his will because we know that he loves us we know that he loves you we know that he loves me and that coupled with his word abiding in us gives us the perfect faith to be able to ask and be confident that he will answer. Not as a magical genie who just, when you rub the lamp, the genie appears and gives you whatever you want, but as the one who is all-powerful and all-wise and all-loving and who can and will answer the prayer made in faith based on abiding in his word. Lastly, we've talked about fruitfulness. We've talked about faith. Now, finally, I want to talk about friendship. Friendship with God. It's riveting when you think about it. What was the first problem that ever appeared on the world? It's easy to say the problem came because of sin, right? But the first problem appeared before sin. It was not sin. It was solitude. Man was living in a paradise. Man was living in unbroken, uninterrupted fellowship with God. But yet God said, something about this isn't good. It's not good. 
for man to be alone. And so I'm going to create someone who's going to break that. The woman, the capstone of God's creation. After he had created everything else, he then created woman and said, that is my mic drop moment. I'm done. <laughs> now I'm going to rest. Um, sin was not the first problem in the world. The first problem in the world was solitude. Okay? So before any sin had come, God looked and said, something's wrong. And why was it wrong? It was wrong because we are created in the image of God. And God has been a relational God from eternity past. From time immemorial, before there was any of, any of this, before there was any human beings or anything else created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were living in perfect, uninterrupted, loving fellowship and friendship with each other. And so God created people in his image. One of the things that means is that we are created for friendship. We're created for fellowship with each other. Um, again, quoting Tim Keller, he said, Love, loneliness is so cosmically terrible. Even in paradise without sin and in fellowship with God, Adam was alone and it was not good. All other problems you will ever face arise out of sin, either yours or someone else's. But loneliness is the only problem that arises because we were made in God's image for self-giving fellowship. You know, there's nothing more humanizing and ennobling than good, true friendship built on the principle of Christ. And Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he proceeded to do that the very next day. And so God is looking to restore the thing that was lost. The thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden was not just innocence, purity, life without sin, but it was also fellowship with him. It was friendship with him. Adam and Eve, the, the best moment of every day was when they were walking with God in the cool of the day, and they were enjoying unbroken and uninterrupted fellowship with him. So God just, he doesn't just invite us to have faith and believe in him and pray. He doesn't just invite us to go out into the world and bear fruit. He also invites us to friendship with him. You can see what he said in John uh, one chapter back. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so you see that God's plan from the beginning, God's plan, which has been restored through Jesus Christ, and God's plan at the very end, if you read Revelation, you'll see John using the exact same language. Now the home of God is with people. He'll be there. God, they'll be his people. Um, unbroken, uninterrupted friendship and fellowship with the creator of the universe. And I love how Jesus says this. I'm, I'm not calling you servants anymore. You're not hired hands, right? Hired hands just do the work. They do the drudgery, but... But friends get invited into the reason behind, here's what I'm doing and here's why. Here's the, here's the animating motivation and passion behind what I'm doing. And so Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into that. Do you ever wonder, John's the guy who said, keeping God's commands is not burdensome. It's not a burden, you know? It's, a, it's actually a delight because it, it's akin to this. Did you ever find 
the perfect gift for someone and you can't wait for their birthday. You can't wait for Christmas because you're like, oh, she's going to love this or he's going to love this. And that's no burden at all because you care for that person so much. It's a delight for you to do the thing that that person is pleased by. In the same way, John was saying, when you love God as much as this, it's not a burden to do what he wants. You just don't want anything to break that friendship. You don't want anything to damage the fellowship you have with him. All you want is to please him. And so his commands aren't burdensome. So this is really the last question is, am I growing with God and in, in fellowship with him? Right? There is a, a check the box mentality we can, we can get into. Okay. I woke up today, read my Bible. I prayed. I was, I was nice to people or there is a God's my friend. I actually want to cram as much time with him as I possibly can into my, every nook and cranny of my life. I'm examining it and I'm looking at it. And I'm saying, where can I spend more time with my best friend? That's what Jesus opened up and made possible for us. So let me ask three questions. I'm going to ask Pastor Rollin to, to come back. Um, three questions. I just want us all to kind of reflect on them and then... Um, Pastor Ron, if you would pray or, or close, however you wish. Um, the first is, are you living for fruit that will last? This is what Jesus said. He said, my father's the vine dresser. He loves you so much. He's not content to let you just eke out a meager harvest. He wants you to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. So I just want to encourage you. Look at everything that's happened in your life, maybe right now or in the past few months and years. Look at it not from this vantage point of, I don't know if God really loves me. I don't know if he really sees. Does he really understand what's going on? How could he let this happen? Let's change that script completely. Change it to, my loving Heavenly Father is not going to let me live a life of mediocrity. Thank God. I don't have to live a mediocre life. Thank God I don't have to live a life with just a meager fruit. He wants me to bear more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will last. So in his loving way, he's coming with the pruning shears. He's saying this branch has to go. This branch has to go. Why? Because he wants me to be in pain? Not at all. But because he wants me to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. So I implore you, both to ask the question, am I living for fruit that will last? But also to look with new eyes, look with new eyes at your experiences and what's happening, even the things that you thought, well, that was going well. Why did that have to end or why did that have to go away? Consider that God who loves you and who loves me has pruned that. He's chosen to prune that because he doesn't want you to live a life of mediocrity. He wants you to bear much fruit that will last for his glory. Secondly, beyond are you living for fruit that will last, are you putting your faith in the true God? Jesus said, if, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to be able to have the faith to ask with the greatest confidence possible. When, when my love dwells in you and it casts out fear, then you can approach God with confidence, with faith, and with freedom. Not as a genie just to honor whatever whim you might passing whim you might have of the moment or whatever infatuation you might have of the moment, but instead in a lasting way and in a deep way that he fills us with faith to pray with boldness. 
And then secondly, or, or thirdly rather, is God viewed as your employer or is he viewed as your friend primarily? God is the king of the universe. He deserves our loyalty. He deserves it when we bow before him and call him our Lord, our master, our savior. But he wants something else. He wants friendship with us. That's what Jesus said. I'm done calling you servants. I'm going to call you friends. Friends get invited into not just the work, but also the thinking, the heart, the passion, the motivation. That's what God had in an uninterrupted way with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. That's what Jesus promised I'm bringing back. I'm going to come and make my home with you. And that's the promise we have for all in eternity, uninterrupted fellowship with God. Then forever our dwelling will be with him and his dwelling will be with us. So I just want to ask you to reflect on those three things. Are you living for fruit that will last? Are you walking the walk of true faith? And is God your employer or is he your friend? Ultimately, we realize Jesus was cut off so that we only had to be cut back, right? Jesus was cut off. He was on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off from that beautiful unbroken fellowship he'd enjoyed for all eternity with God the Father so that we, we only need to be cut back. We only need to be pruned that we might be more fruitful because of what Jesus has won for us.